Hello friends, this is Herrick. It's good to be with you. And this morning we're going to continue in our series, Teach Us to Pray, the series of the Lord's Prayer. And I have the privilege of handling the last little chunk of the prayer. It's, it might be small because it's a couple of verses or really one verse, but it is powerful. It is impactful. It's been impactful to me personally. So I really hope that for you this morning or whenever you're listening to this or wherever you're listening to this, that you have an encounter with the risen King Jesus who loves you, who wants to bring great freedom and joy into your life. And I think we're actually going to see that today in a new and a fresh way. So I'm really excited for what we're going to do. So uh, with that said, if you've missed any of the messages in this series, I really want to encourage you to go back and check them out. These messages really do build one on the other because we're looking at one prayer that Jesus Really, it's, it's called the Lord's Prayer, but it's almost like the disciples' prayer. It's the way he taught us as his disciples to pray in the world. So if you've missed any of them, go back, check it out. They do build on one another. And really what's happening with this Lord's Prayer, which I think is, is really impactful for me personally, is that it, it's a way to daily pray in such a way where we, we become more and more who we are as God's kids in the world. So very quickly, just as a quick review Lord's Prayer, our Father. Our Father has to do with us not being orphans anymore. We are dearly loved sons and daughters. We get to run to Him in the same way that my kids run to, run to me. We can run to Him. He's our dad and He is good. Honored be your name. This life, it's really, it's all about you, Daddy. I want everyone in this world to come to know you through our lives, through the church, and make much of you. I want to get to brag on you, Dad, and we want to get to brag on you. And isn't that the heart's cry of every child, is to brag on their dad? Not every child's able to do that, but I think every child wants to do that. So our Father, hallowed be your name, honored be your name, we want to make much of you. Your kingdom come. Being your kids is amazing. I want this for all people in all places, Father. Your will be done. I'm going through the prayer. Your will be done. We are your people. Send us with good news in our mouths, skilled hands for service, and strength to face the challenges that we face without giving up or becoming bitter. Your will be done. Give us our daily bread. Father, give us what we need to be about your business in this world. Forgive us as we forgive others. In this, we're acknowledging we are weak as your kids that we're weak. We stumble all over ourselves. We get distracted. Sometimes we get defiant, maybe even a bit divisive. Dad, forgive us. And we want to be a family that freely forgives one another. That's what we want to be all about. And that brings us to today, which is Matthew 6, 13. And it's a short verse. So I'm going to read it right now. It says, And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. What does this mean? And what implications does this prayer have on our lives? That's what I'm going to unpack today, as best I can, the power of God's Spirit and with His grace. But first, I want to share a story with you that I think will help you, and it's gotten me thinking really about what this text is saying. And so this is a story from my freshman year of college. It was a really significant time in my life. Uh, really, I was, I was new, obviously, as a freshman to a new environment, University of San Diego, and I was meeting a bunch of new people. And my number one priority was to find my people and carve out my place at the university. And so this was super important to me. And so much so that my roommate at the time was still a good friend of mine. He called me a social butterfly. And no one has called me that since. 
the closest I've gotten is someone once called me a warm introvert, which I'll happily take. I think it's true. At, at best, it's, it's true. And, uh, but I, the point is I wanted people to like me. I wanted people to be friends with me and I wanted to have an established place in the school. And so over the course of meeting new people, I met a ton of people that I enjoyed who were very kind and people that I wanted to be around, except for one. And this, there's this guy that I just, he did some things that I really did not like. He put people who became friends of mine into compromising situations. So sort of like, hey, let's get together for X, whatever that was. And then they would show up and it turns out it's not quite what he said, it's something else. And then he tries to talk them into staying even though they weren't necessarily comfortable or he would make it hard for them to leave or to get home. It's that kind of situation. And he did this to some of my female classmates, including one that I would later date for a time. And so on the surface, this guy appeared to be a nice guy. He was charming, he was handsome and all that stuff. But then I heard the stories from friends of mine, from people I knew who felt pressured by him into situations that they didn't sign up for. And then this different picture of this person emerged. And I really branded him in my heart as a manipulative hypocrite. And he was also a churchgoer, which at the time I wasn't. And so that made it worse for me based on how I saw things. Now, I went to a very small school. USD is a small private school. So I would run into this person regularly. And I did so for several years after my freshman year until he graduated. He was a little bit older than me. And when I'd see his face, if I'm honest, my blood would begin to boil. I would scowl or mean mug him. I mean, he had to feel my disgust because I made no effort whatsoever to hide it. What am I saying? I, at a heart level, I hated this man. And it remained that way for a long, long time. Okay, what does that situation that I experienced as a freshman and throughout my college life have to do with the Lord's Prayer? And why should you care? Well, I think it has everything to do with the Lord's Prayer, and I think it can help us to understand an important part of what it means to follow Jesus. How so? Okay. Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, lead us not into temptation. So the first question I want to talk about today is what does Jesus mean by temptation? So the Greek word there that Jesus uses that's translated as temptation, it can either mean temptation or test. There's a couple of different ways that it can actually be translated. And so a temptation, if we're looking for a definition in terms of first temptation, then test. We'll define temptation first. It's an enticement to get a person to go contrary to the will of God, which is what we see Satan trying to do to Jesus earlier in Matthew. If you read the gospel, you'll see it there. And then on the other side, where we'll spend most of our time today, it's look at the test or the trial. I'm going to use those interchangeably, test, trial. It's trying to get a person to demonstrate faithfulness to God's will with the good intention that that person passes the test. So you see that temptation and trials are related. During a trial, we face temptation to disobey the, the will of God and to demonstrate unfaithfulness. Okay, why does this matter? Because we all face tests, everybody. No one is exempt from this. They may be dramatic or they may be ordinary, but we'll face them nonetheless. And here's the key. 
trials or tests, they reveal what we love. As one author put it, I thought this was really helpful, a test will uncover your heart's desires, showing what you are really committed to, what you really care about, and what has captured your deepest affections. Going back to the story that I opened with, my situation freshman year, it was a trial. It was a trial that revealed what I loved. I wanted love and I wanted acceptance from others. And this guy that I did not like, he was the competition and he played dirty. And so it revealed that if I feel threatened, I will judge and condemn, I'll accuse, and I'll even go so far as murdering someone in my heart. And this trial, it revealed that my deepest affection, my great love, it was being accepted by other people and loved by them. In my heart, I idolized some people for what they thought of me. And on the other side, I demonized others for what they did to me or my people. And here's the, the, the hardest part about all that was that at the time I was learning about Jesus. I was a part of a Bible study on my floor where we were talking about Jesus, we we're learning about him. And I didn't realize one of the most basic foundational teachings of Jesus' ministry is this idea of asking God not to be overcome by temptation, not to fall in a trial. And I did that very thing by seeking love and approval outside of Jesus. Here's the thing, if you're taking notes, trials reveal what we love. And each trial, it comes with a temptation to love and to trust something else besides Jesus. And my friends, we all face trials. Maybe for you, it's a coworker who loves to gossip and wants to bring you into the latest office scandal and get your commentary on it. Or maybe it's a flirting coworker who's giving you attention. Or maybe it's a child who's going wayward. Maybe it's a marriage that's suffering and distance is starting to form. Or maybe it's a sickness. Or it could be poverty. The Bible describes how poverty is a trial that could lead us to look not to God to provide, but to other things or other ways to get what we need. It's a trial. And on the other side, did you know that riches are also a trial? Because riches can easily make us forget that we need God. There's all sorts of trials and temptations associated with those trials that we're going to face as disciples of Jesus. Here's the thing, though. What Jesus is telling us, these words, what they teach us is that Jesus cares about these trials and the temptations we face in them because he cares for you and he cares for me. He wants us to be found faithful in the midst of the trial. He cares so deeply about us that he teaches us to pray regularly, that we hold up under trials and temptations. He doesn't get involved only when we've made a mess and need, to clean, and need cleanup. He doesn't just get involved then. He actually wants to teach us how to avoid them in the first place. This is a form of preventative care. A good doctor knows how to treat problems, but also knows how to help you avoid problems in the first place through nutrition, exercise, sleep, mental health, etc. In the same way, Jesus wants us to get out ahead of spiritual problems before they show up by dealing with them in advance through prayer. 
Jesus teaches us to pray and lead us not into temptation as a form of preventative care, not for our bodies, but for ourselves and for our community because what happens here affects what happens out there. And what happens out there affects what happens in here. So before we move on to the next thing I wanna talk about, I think a couple points of clarification are in order about the test or the temptation. This is not, number one, this is not an intellectual test like we had at school. This isn't a test of how much you know, but of what you love most. This is a test of the character within, not the content of the mind. And we pray for protection from our enemy exploiting our weaknesses. Deliver us from the evil one. There is an enemy, Satan, the accuser of the brethren. There is an enemy. And we're asking God to protect us from him and from ourselves. We're asking God to help us. And from one person or a situation that could cause us to stumble, we're asking his help. Or we can see a difficult situation ahead and we're asking him to help us. So this is not a Bible knowledge test. Though we must understand what the Bible teaches in order to be faithful in the midst of the test. True knowledge, and this is important. True knowledge of the Bible's message about Jesus always cultivates humility, neediness, and dependence on God. There is a temptation, however, for Bible knowledge to become the end goal. And how do you know if the Bible knowledge has become the end goal as opposed to character formation? Bible knowledge that leads to character formation ultimately cultivates humility and neediness and dependence, right? But there's this temptation for Bible knowledge to become the end goal. Mark, I messed up. Okay, Mark, here's what I wanna do. I wanna go back to where I said, this is a test of the character within, not content in the mind. So I wanna go back to that and delete everything that you just saw. So I'm gonna pick up from there. Here we go, three, two, one. We pray for protection from our enemy, exploiting our weaknesses, or from a person or a situation that would cause us to stumble or a difficult moment ahead. In other words, this is not a Bible knowledge test, though we must understand what the Bible teaches in order to be found faithful. True knowledge of the Bible's message about Jesus, listen to this, always cultivates humility, neediness, and a dependence upon God. There is a temptation, however, for Bible knowledge to become the end goal. How do we know if Bible knowledge and not character formation has become the end goal? Well, Bible knowledge as an end, typically what it cultivates is pride, self-sufficiency, and superiority. That's the kind of knowledge that likes to be tested in a setting where there's a bunch of Christians around and a Bible question comes up. I'm not saying it's bad to answer those questions. It's a good thing. We need clarity on the scriptures. But if we are very excited about that and we are not so much excited about love and care for others and neediness and dependence and holiness, 
then we may not actually be pursuing Jesus. We might be pursuing knowledge as the end goal. Pride, self-sufficiency, and superiority ultimately are what would happen. And I know a lot about the Bible. Listen, listen to this. It's a test in itself. It's a test in itself of what you love. Is it power? Is it praise from people? Or is it Jesus? I don't say this lightly because I am tempted in the same exact way. So this is you, this is me too. And that's why I wanna pray, lead us, us, not into temptation. And I wanna ask you to pray for me because we are vulnerable. So that's the first thing. This is not a knowledge, uh, a content of your mind, but a content of your character type of test. Second thing, very important, God doesn't tempt us. James explains that very clearly. He doesn't dangle, God doesn't dangle a carrot in front of us and lead us into a ditch so that we'll fall in. He's not a cruel father, he's a good one. Jesus has made that overwhelmingly and abundantly clear. We are enticed to sin by our own wayward hearts. That's the first thing that we need to keep in mind. God doesn't tempt us to sin. We are enticed by our own wayward hearts. And then if anything, Satan dangles a carrot and tries to lead us into a ditch. Not our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven loves us and he is looking out for us. God himself can't be tested. James is very clear about that. So if you're taking notes, here's the first thing. As we're talking about temptations and trials, the big thing to keep in mind is that trials reveal what we love. Trials reveal what we love. Okay, second question I want to look at. How does God deliver us from evil? I see at least two ways in the scriptures. Number one, we can ask him to help us and he'll come through. We can ask him to help us and he will come through. James 1, 2-6 says this, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, which is what we've been talking about, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be complete and mature, lacking nothing. So these trials and these tests, they have a way of shaping and forming our character if we allow them to, which is a great thing. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God. Keep in mind, what's the context? What are we talking about? Testing. We're talking about testing. If any of you lacks wisdom, you could say, in the midst of a test, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and unbegrudgingly, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting, for the doubter is like the surging sea driven and tossed by the wind. I love how Eugene Peterson in his message paraphrase says it. He says, if you face a trial and you don't know what to do, essentially, this is what we're talking about. It says, if you don't know what you're doing, pray to the Father. He loves to help. You'll get his help and you won't be condescended to when you ask for it. Ask boldly, believingly, without a second thought. How kind and wonderful is that picture of our Father in heaven? He loves to help. Here's a, here's a quote from, from a Bible scholar, Michael Eaton. He says, For any that will come to him, God will not rebuke them any further. So even though the trial and the, and the situation that they're in, it's not always because of sin, but it could be. It could be a way 
um, for the Father to help us grow in our character. There are situations that we face that help us grow in our character and God may allow us to, to go through them. So here's what he's saying. God's not going to rebuke you any further if you come to him. He's not going to be moralistic. He's not going to say, why are you coming to me? You want to be ashamed of yourself. And maybe some of us have heard voices like that from earthly fathers or authority figures or whatever. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. But listen to this. You might even be fearful of going to another Christian. He or she might rebuke you for your foolishness. Also true, maybe there are times when we go to other Christians who maybe mean well, but they come down hard on us. They're harsh when we're struggling or having a hard time. I know I'm, I've been guilty of this, and you, if you think about it, you probably think of a situation where you've done it too. But when you are going to the Father in confession and acknowledgement of need, you will find he is very welcoming. How good is that? I have experienced this personally. I just want to quickly share with you uh, something. As a dad, I struggle. All the parents in the room are going, mm-hmm. Yep. Parenting is hard. It's difficult. It's challenging. And it's not because, I'm not saying this because the kids have their own struggles, which they do, but it's because parenting is a trial that reveals what's in my heart. And oftentimes what comes out in difficult parenting moments is harshness. It's anger. It's a tongue that's very sharp, that likes to put kids in their place. I'm not proud of this. I'm just being honest about what happens. And I, don't, I haven't uh, been happy with what I've seen in my own parenting. Because as I've chewed on it and thought about it, I've realized that I don't want my kids to have a false sense of what God is like. And so over the course of the last several years, I've started to learn how to apologize to them and confess that when I, when I mess up as a parent, hey, that's not what God is like. And that's good. But it got to the point where I'm like, I want to begin to change. I want to be humble and apologize, but I also want to change. When, when the moments come, when the temptation is there, when a trial, when a difficult or wayward child, it's a, it's a trial when that situation emerges, I want to be ready. And so I've begun this process. It's taken months of beginning to be honest with my father about, I need your help. I need your help. And what I have found is that God delivers. Nothing changed overnight, but slowly and surely, as a result of his generosity to me and my growing awareness of how good he is, I've been coming to him regularly, asking him, help me. Help me to be a different kind of dad. Help me to be a gentle and patient father when difficult situations arise and when things are good. Help me. There's so much more in my parenting, by the way, that needs help, but I just wanted to focus in on this. And things have begun to change. I feel like God gave me some language that's been very helpful to us. So when I talk to my kids now, uh, when, they're, when they're having a difficult moment, when they're not listening or, or obeying, oftentimes what, what I say and now what Heather says is, you are a loved boy learning to love. You are a loved girl learning to love. In other words, we want to ground them in who they are in Jesus. They are loved, and they're learning to love because of the way that he has treated them. And so that has helped me to point them to Jesus when I could just give them a tongue lashing, if I'm honest. So that's language that I feel like God gave me graciously, and he's helped me, and that language has helped. Also for me, 
uh, because I can, can be snappy and sharp and quick to anger. Uh, I've learned, uh, I think God gave me this, these words to tell my kids, I want to be patient and gentle with you. I want to be patient and gentle with you. And here's the thing. I think it's just as much for me to remember to pursue the life and the parenting that pleases God. Just those two things have helped so much. He's given me what I needed. And it's come out of a space of asking because he's good. When we ask him to help us, he'll come through. What trial are you facing that you need help with? Have you asked him? Father, lead me not into temptation. Help me in the midst of this. Deliver me from my own worst tendencies and from the, from the devil who's, who, who is a stand-in, in a sense, for the kingdom of darkness all around, which affects us, which affects the world and it affects us. Help me, rescue me, deliver me, Father. No matter where you're at, no matter what you have done, you can cry out to God for help. In whatever situation you face, he loves to help. Your dad in heaven, your daddy likes to help you. With a God who is this generous, what have we to doubt? What makes more sense? Doubting God or doubting our doubt? We can ask him to help us and he'll come through. Here's the second thing I see. How does God deliver us from evil? He gives us a way out. He provides a way out. So 1 Corinthians 10, 12 to 13 says, So whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way out. So you may be able to bear it. That's the heart of God. He wants to provide a way out so that we can bear up under temptation so that we do not have to be overcome by it. He wants us to be found faithful. He gives us wisdom when we ask. According to James, he gives us new birth. He gives us new hearts, okay, which lead to new affections, new desire, new power. The Holy Spirit comes to live in us. According to James also in chapter one, which is about trials, he gives us good gifts. God reminds us that the things that we're often looking for, the things that we want that we make huge compromises for, the things that we love, ultimately they're there to point us to him. They're gifts that point us to how generous the giver is. They're not the giver, they're the gift. And God invites us to trust him, to love him above all else. Trial is, it shows us what we love. And if we love him, he'll take care of all the rest. We pursue his kingdom and his righteousness, the life that pleases him. He will add everything else that we need. We've already talked about that in the previous message. He gives us another example of how generous he is and how he helps provide a way out. He gives us this prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is a prayer that we can pray daily. Early Christians, in fact, played probably prayed it up to three times a day. And it's not even about rote, just like saying it, but you can learn it and then you can begin to customize it to your own language and experience. You can begin to talk to God about, deliver me from my anger. Deliver me from my jealousy. Deliver me from my gossip. Deliver me from my lust. Deliver me from whatever it is. We can take this daily prayer and make it, 
a way that we relate to him and enjoy him and obey him. I could go on and on, but here's the point. God offers us a relationship through which he'll help us when we ask him, and then he'll provide a way out. This is relational. It's God as father. God as, he's as close. If it's my kids, he's closer to me than I am to my own children. He's that available, and he's way better than I am. If anything, I'm just trying to catch up as much as I can, little by little, to what he's like. He's so good. So we can go to him, and he loves to help us, and he loves to provide a way out. So third question, how does this challenge our view of ourselves and our lives? I think it's important we have to say we are vulnerable. We are vulnerable. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's not a cry of the strong, but of the weak who know it. Jesus taught us to pray with a healthy sense of our own limitations, weaknesses, and vulnerabilities. We'll never pray like he taught us to without acknowledging that we are vulnerable. Jesus, I believe, he's essentially teaching us to cry out, Daddy, help. Don't let me go. What we might expect of a child to say to their father when that child becomes aware that there's danger ahead. And Jesus is telling us that there is always danger ahead. So pray, even if you can't see it. Do you see the kind of relationship Jesus is inviting us into? It's one of total trust and dependence and love. What are we tempted to do? We're tempted to distrust, to become independent, and then to put our hope in another love. This prayer, though, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Along with the rest of the prayer Jesus taught us to pray, there's power. Daddy, help. Don't let me fall. Don't let me go. Get me out of here. Help us. We're not strong, but vulnerable. But what we find is, in our vulnerability and weakness, we find a father who's strong who we can trust in, who's offering us his help. We'll just reach out and grab it. So the second way that this challenges our view of ourselves is that we become become aware of the fact that we depend on God to avoid sin. We depend on God to avoid sin. We don't do it on our own strength. We depend on him. Quickly, I want to read you a quick story. This is from Charles Spurgeon. He's called the Prince of Preachers. Amazing, uh, talented, skilled preacher. He was in the 1800s in England. He was preaching. And and he tells a story very quickly about how dependent we are on God to avoid sin. So there were a couple of guys who were condemned to die as martyrs in the day of Queen Mary. In the days of Queen Mary, a long time ago. One of them boasted very loudly to his companion of his confidence that he would basically, that he would be fine at the stake. He did not mind the suffering. He was so grounded in the gospel that he knew, I'm never going to deny it. He said that he longed for the fatal morning, even as a bride longs for her wedding. His companion, though, in prison in the same chamber was a poor, trembling soul who could not and would not deny his master. But he told his companion that he was very much afraid of the fire. He said that he had always been very sensitive to suffering and that he was in great fear about the pain that it would cause him to deny the truth. He asked his friend to pray for him, and he spent his time weeping over his weakness and crying out to God for strength. 
The other one, though, continually rebuked him and chided him for being so unbelieving and weak. When they both came to the stake, when their moment of trial came, he who had been so bold recanted at the sight of the fire and went back to an apostate's life. He stopped following Jesus. While the poor trembling man whose prayer had been, lead me not into temptation, stood firm as a rock, praising and magnifying God as he was burnt to a cinder. Weakness is our strength, and strength is our weakness. Cry out to God that he not try you beyond your strength. And in that, in that shrinking, as you feel yourself getting small, you can cry out, lead us not into temptation. And then if he does lead you into the conflict, the, his Holy Spirit will strengthen you. And you will be brave as a lion before the adversary. Though trembling and shrinking within yourself before the throne of God, you would confront the very devil and all the hosts of hell without one touch of fear. It may seem strange, but so it is. Guys, it's okay to walk out of harm's way. The person who invites the fight has not yet understood himself or his opponent. But God loves to rescue his children. So I want to ask a question. Do you believe, honestly, this morning or whenever you're listening to this, do you believe that you are vulnerable to falling into sin, to being overcome by temptation? If so, do your prayers reflect that need? Does your attitude towards others reflect your own weakness, vulnerability, and identification with their weakness? In other words, are you a gentle person who understands Whatever they're struggling with, that might be me, and I could be worse. If I had walked in their shoes and been through what they've been through, I might be struggling worse than they are. Is that the sort of gentleness that marks your life, that marks our community? Let's not forget Jesus' words. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the merciful. How do we grow in mercy? By recognizing these things. I'm vulnerable. If God doesn't rescue me, I will be swept up into sin. But God is faithful and kind, and so I'm going to grab onto him and hold on to him. And hey, come over here and grab onto him too. Let's hold on to him together. I'm not better than you are. I'm simply loved, and so are you. Let's go. Is that the way that we approach community? Lead us not into temptation, Lord, should be the cry of the church regularly. Not just for, for me. When I see someone stumble and fall, I can cry out, lead us not into temptation too, for them and for me. We are vulnerable and we are dependent on God to avoid sin. Last question. As we think about the Lord's Prayer, we're here at the end. How does God comfort us through the Lord's Prayer and specifically through these verses that, when which we ask for God's help and his protection when we're facing sin and temptation and trials? I wanna read you this quote. I think it's phenomenal. This, by the way, is from a book that I can't encourage you guys enough to get. It's called The Truth About Lies, The Unlikely Role of Temptation and Who You Will Become. It's by Tim Chaddock. Pastor was in LA with Reality LA, now he's in London. And it's a phenomenal book, highly influential in this message that, I've, that I'm delivering right now. And uh, it's on audiobook if anybody drives, you don't have time to read if you have audio. On audio, a drive, you can read it if you want to. Super good stuff. This is why this is good news, this prayer. It says this, let's be honest. Let's be honest. We have all failed in temptation. 
which is why you must know that it's only through trusting Christ as Savior that you can truly overcome and refuse the lying success of Satan. Jesus didn't just come to be our example. He came to be our Savior. He rejected the easy path shown to him by Satan on the mountain. He chose the hard path of another mountain, one that had a cross. Because his goal was to come and save us, to die for our sins, to pay the penalty for where we had failed and committed idolatry. In other words, where we had loved when we had failed. The test revealed that we loved something or someone other than God. He, however, did not give in. And he is able to save those who have given in. Let me say that again. Because he did not give in, he is able to save those who have, who have given in. He knows what it's like to be tempted. But like it says in the scriptures, he didn't sin. And he is gentle and patient and kind with those who suffer temptation. He endured temptation to save people who didn't endure temptation. So good. Jesus did not resist temptation in order to condemn you for giving into yours. No, he resisted temptation in order to save you. He provides not only a way of escape from giving in, but also forgiveness for when we do. He provides not only a way of escape for giving in, but also forgiveness for when we do. Oh, isn't that good? Jesus never once gave in to temptation. Let that give you a fresh sense of wonder and awe of our King, Jesus. Who can say that? Nobody can. Not you, not me, no one. Only Jesus. He's our Savior and not us. We're not the Savior. Just marvel and be in awe of him. If you get anything else from this message today, just marvel and be in awe of Jesus who never once gave in to temptation. And worship him and trust him and love him and go where he wants you to go. Pray as he teaches you to pray. Trust him. He is so good. He is so worthy. Imagine this, friends. Imagine a community of people together who were aware of how vulnerable we are and how loved, we do, how loved we are and how safe we are because of him. What if we became a people who were vulnerable and cried out to a big God, small people, big God, instead of big people, small God? He is not, God is not trying to trick you. He's not trying to trap you. He's trying to transform us, to change us. Satan wants, listen to this, Satan wants to expose you to defeat you. God allows trials in order to heal you. Hold on to that this week. He's good. Last thing, I just want to apply this very quickly. Politics, hello. Politics. We're heading into election cycle. I don't know if you know this. There's an election coming up. Do you have a sense today of how the pride, fear, and hatred that's all around us can tempt us? Do you know? Toxic situations can bring out some of the worst in us. I think we've largely forgotten this. Or maybe we just didn't know. This is true across the board. The left and the right, pride, fear, hatred. Do we know how that might affect us? Do you know how you might be tempted to agree with and even parrot the logic, the reasoning, and the arguments of political pundits, strategists, and politicians who may be tempting you into pride, 
fear, or hatred. Lord, lead us not into temptation. Can you see how Satan might use politics to tempt us towards disunity? I don't have time to get into it, but it becomes clear in the New Testament, especially in Ephesians, that Satan operates in primarily two ways. He undermines our holiness, wants us to compromise, and then he wants to undermine our unity, wants us to be divided. But together we can fight this. Write this down if you need to. Talk to someone about it this week, whether that's your spouse, your roommate, someone in your gospel community, someone who can unpack what's going on in your heart as you think about politics, as you get ready for this election. Someone who can talk to you and you can share, hey, I think I've possibly loved or cared more about this than Jesus, whatever that is, politics or otherwise. You have an opportunity to confess. Remember, right before we, Jesus gave us Lead us not to temptation. He talked about forgive us, Father. And Father, God is a generous Father who forgives. So while we're talking about preventative care today, lead us not to temptation, there's also a reality that he can come in and help us once the mess has already been made. And that's true in our politics. That's true in our parenting. That's true in our marriage. That's true in our workplace. That's true in any area of life. I just chose politics because it's such a clear one right now. Man, Someone in this community or some people can point you back to Jesus so you can experience him in a fresh way. People that know, I'm prone to the same thing, so I want to be gentle with this man or this woman who's pouring out their heart in need of grace. Imagine this. What if this charged political moment where we're divided as a nation, there's a lot of anger and pride and fear and hate. What if this was a gift? What if this was a gift in the sense that it reveals what we love? What if we found that in some cases it's not Jesus and then we repented of that and we experienced renewal and grace and we can begin to pray with greater awareness of our own weakness and vulnerability, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, Father. Have mercy on my, my brothers and sisters on the right or on the left or whatever. Have mercy on us, help us. What if that, what if Jesus was our highest allegiance, not our political party? Man, how good would that be for the church on the whole? What an opportunity to experience renewal. There is a gift that comes with the test, even if we find that we haven't passed it. There's still time. I wanna finish with this. Uh, the man, I started with a story about a man from my college who I did not like much and I really began to, to cultivate a hatred for, revealed what I loved. Fast forward several years, I'm out of college, I'm living in San Diego, and at this point in time, I'm a disciple of Jesus. I'm learning the gospel. I'm learning how loved I am, how unworthy and undeserving I am of God's grace, and how freely and lavishly he's poured it out on me. And I'm working out of Lestat's, which is a coffee house in Normal, Normal Heights down in San Diego. And who walks in the door? You guessed it, the, the man from freshman year who I didn't like much or hated. And I knew, oh man, this is it. God in his infinite kindness and mercy has given me an opportunity to repent, to work through what happened, to address the hatred in my own heart, to ask him to forgive me, Father, forgive me, and then to forgive this man for all the things that he did to my friends. 
and then to, to reconcile in a sense. Because again, this was a church-going man, so I'm just assuming the best, assuming he's a Christian and a follower of Jesus who's struggling. And so one day with God's grace and help, I approached him at Lestat's and repented of my attitude towards him and shared that Jesus' love had changed my heart. And he was touched. He was probably a little freaked out, but he was touched. And here's the thing. God doesn't test us to embarrass us, to expose us, and to drag us through the mud. He wants to heal us. And so in his infinite kindness and mercy, you may have opportunities right now to repent and apologize to people who maybe you've treated poorly, maybe you've harbored bitterness or hatred of, or you've gossiped about, or whatever. If you're breathing, if you could hear my voice, there is still time. And there is a good dad who loves to forgive, loves to help, loves to see brothers and sisters in unity and in love, caring for one another, experiencing the gospel of Jesus in a way that changes the way they relate to one another. Man, but here's the thing. I'm convinced that when we fall, God loves to lift us up, dust us off, and then get, help us to get back on the saddle. Will you let him? Will you let him? We finish with this loving challenge. This is from Tim Chaddock's book that I recommended. Again, it's called The Truth About Lies. He said, here's a question to ask yourself. Will I be willing to admit a wrongdoing when I am convicted by God's spirit? Or will I choose to bury it because I love appearing faultless in front of people? Will I be willing to admit my need for correction? Or will I choose a facade because I love appearing right before others? Will I say no when I'm asked to work overtime or will I say yes because I love to be needed? The greatest temptations lure us by replacing truth with lies, authenticity with appearance, and the love of God with the love of self. We must look within and ask, what is it that I love most? Whether we like it or not, these choices must be made daily. And our choices have consequences affecting not only our own souls, but the souls of those around us for good or for bad. But the reality, this reality should not lead us to despair or to be in denial. Temptation is about discovering who you really are and what you love most. And the gospel, here's the good news, transforms us so that even in the moment of temptation, it can become the training ground for a life of abundance as our hearts are radically reshaped and reordered by the love of Jesus. Because ultimately, the key to facing temptation is not a principle, it's a person, Jesus, who never sinned, who gave up his life for us and who now lives in us to help us. So I wanna encourage you friends, pray this prayer regularly, the whole thing. And you can break it up into chunks, the Lord's Prayer, you can focus on one, you can do it all, whatever is most natural for you. Lead us not into temptation, it can be a daily part of your life. You can ask others to pray for you. You confess your sin regularly. You can confess your sin regularly. And Satan will ultimately flee from you. If you humble yourself, trust Jesus. Along the way, you'll become a more merciful person because you've embraced your own weakness and see it as part of the human condition. You're not better than anyone else. You are a love boy or a love girl learning to love. And that's the truth of the gospel. And friends, I love you. I pray that you have a great week. And we'll talk to you soon.